we try to have conversations with our players when it comes to player development about you know, how are you feeling or what do you think is working for you or what are you trying to do in this situation? A lot of those kids don't have the ability to communicate those things because they haven't had to think about them. Hey and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud, the official voice of data. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. In this episode, I welcome Matt Kozderka, head coach of Lewis and Clark. Matt was named the 11th head coach of the Lewis and Clark Pioneers in the summer of 2017, following nearly 15 years as a Portland area high school head coach and assistant at Willamette of the Northwest Conference. In 2014, Matt joined the Willamette Bearcats, and with Matt on the staff, they posted four straight 20-win seasons, including a 28-14 and 14 mark in 2017. Prior to his move into the collegiate ranks, Matt was the head coach at Wilsonville High School, which is located 15 miles south of Lewis and Clark's campus. And Matt led the Wildcats to a 169-106 and 106 overall record with two league championships and a state runner-up finish in 2011 when he was named the Oregon School Activities Association 5A Coach of the Year. On the show, Matt and I discuss how coaching at a D3 school can pose some unique challenges. We also talk about how Matt develops intentional training programs, communication, and unique competitions to keep his players engaged. And we also hit on why it's important to teach baseball, but it's even more important to teach the game of life. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Matt Kozderka. Matt Kozderka, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to uh, have an opportunity to speak to you. I hope I can uh, offer something that your listeners can take uh, that's of value. Definitely. And to be completely honest with you, I'm, I'm not real familiar with, with you besides the fact of you post some awesome stuff on the ABCA chat. So I figured I would snatch you up and get you on the mic and I really have been impressed by some of the different things that you that you guys are doing, and I can't wait to dig in a little bit today. But before we get started, why don't you just give us a little bit about your baseball background and why you decided to get into coaching? Sure. Uh, you know, my whole life, I wanted to be a professional athlete growing up. And uh, when I was in elementary school and, and junior high, I thought I was going to play in the NBA. And then I realized that when I got to high school, that there aren't any 6'2 slow forwards that can't jump in the NBA. And I realized I probably need to do something different. So uh, at the same time, I was really falling in love with baseball at that time, and I realized that that's really what I wanted to do, and so I dedicated myself to that, and I went to college, uh, had a pretty good career there. After my junior year, I had some scouts come to games. I thought I was going to get drafted. It was going to be you know, the the ultimate scenario for me to come true, and then uh, I sat in my parents' basement for two days during the draft and didn't get a call, and uh, I started to realize probably for the first time that I needed to have a, a real plan B, um, and I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to stay in the game of baseball. I knew I loved that. And I knew I wanted to find a role that I could make a difference in the lives of, of, of kids or other people in a positive manner. And, and coaching just seemed like the natural fit uh, fit for that. So uh, after my pro career, I did get a chance to play a couple years in, in pro baseball. Uh, I got a teaching degree and I went into uh, teaching and coaching. I was a high school coach uh, for, for 10 years at Wilsonville High School and 
Uh, really enjoyed that. And then I got a chance to go back to my alma mater and be an assistant coach at Willamette University for four years. And then I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to come to Lewis Clark, where I am now as the head coach. Um, and it's really been a dream scenario. And I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing. No, I love that. And and I love that you were a high school coach too, and, and, and a college coach. And that's basically most of our listeners that are, that are listening in and tuning in. And so it's uh it's going to be great to hear that perspective of, you know, between the two, but let's go ahead and dig into the player development piece. And, you know, we're in the fall right now and, you know, we're, we're pushing into some winter workouts and going to start hot and heavy in January, but talk to us about what you guys did this fall or are doing currently. And, you know, what does a typical week look like for you? Sure. So the fall for us at a D3 school is a little bit different than some of the other levels where we're a little bit limited on our practice time. Um, we don't have a limitation on hours, but we're only allowed 16 days in the fall. So um, some people look at that as definitely a detriment and it's difficult to develop guys in 16 days for sure. But I like it because it gives our guys an opportunity to be a student and to really kind of get focused on their academics and also have the whole college experience, which I think is great. But like I said, at the same time, obviously, you know, but it's only 16 days. You have to be really efficient. So we try to practice uh, four days a week for four weeks. Uh, we have practices on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and then we scrimmage on Fridays and Sundays. Um, and we try to look at things that maybe a little bit differently than some of the other folks do, where we look at the whole day as an opportunity to help with our kids out. So we do a lot of extra work with our guys. Uh, our hitting coach, Eric Del Prado, helps our, our, our guys every day. Uh, one day a week, everybody had a small hitting group they got to be involved in, which is great to really kind of develop those guys on a more personal basis and also uh, I do all the defense at Lewis and Clark, and so all the defensive groups got one day to work with me, extra work. And then uh, our Tuesday practices are a little bit more focused on the individual side of things. Uh, we spend a little more time in the cages, kind of breaking down swings and those kind of things. And we also spend a little more time uh, breaking down the defensive side of things. Uh, we'll also hit on the field on Tuesdays to get our guys an opportunity to really put the things they've been working on into a, a full field setting. And then our Wednesdays are a little bit more focused on kind of a team-focused practice uh, where we'll maybe do maybe it's some bunt defenses, first and third defenses, those kind of things. And then our hitting will be a little bit more situational. Uh, we usually try to do some kind of controlled scrimmage in that opportunity uh, setting and allow our guys to kind of just really get out and play, which is where we think our guys learn a lot from. And then uh, on Fridays and Sundays, like I said, we do our inner squads. Um, and we do something a little bit different than other folks uh, where most people kind of score those by traditional runs scored. We score them off of our quality of bat system, which is a great way for our guys to really reinforce the things that we're looking for them to do and also gives our guys a better opportunity to come back if they get behind in a scrimmage. So it keeps guys a little bit more involved and focused on things. I love that. And so tell us a little bit about your, you know, the players that you guys are recruiting and, you know, me being a high school coach, I'm, you know, I'm looking at colleges going, okay, how can, how can I one, how can I win? How can we win with the kids that we've got and how can we make them better? But two, I want to know how we can get them recruited and sent to the next level if that's something that they want to do. So talk to us a little bit about the players that you, you know, you'd like to recruit. Is there a couple of intangibles that you really like uh, in a lot of different players and, you know, go through that process with it for us. Sure. For us as a, as a high academic institution, the academics comes first. Um, and so if you can't get into the school, then um, we're really not an option. And I think, I think a lot of kids burn a lot of bridges because they maybe don't focus enough on the academic side of things. And there's billions of dollars of academic money out there versus millions of, of athletic scholarships. So just kind of maybe having guys who are really more realistic about what they want. Um, we have guys definitely in our program who are solid baseball guys. They love baseball. They want to work really hard. But they understand that they're probably going to do something after. And so they make sure that their academics is a big focus for them. Um, as far as the players kind of things go, we want guys who are going to be guys who work hard. You know, as a, as a college pitcher myself, I came out of high school, I threw like 81 to 82. I was definitely not a pro prospect, and I told everybody I was going to play professionally, and I worked very hard to do that. So we want guys who want to come in and kind of uh, mirror that 
kind of sentiment where they want to come in and work and, and develop our program. Um, I think also we would really like to have guys who uh, have more of a sentimental toughness or an ability to kind of deal with failure. I think that's uh, when you deal with a lot of kids at our level who are very analytical, they're very intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of times they can kind of lock themselves up. So guys who can handle the game and, and the failure that comes with the game is definitely another thing we look for. Oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, to be completely honest, if they're playing baseball at a D3 school, they've got to love the game and they've got to be tough. And, you know, they're getting a great education while you guys are there. And so is that, I guess that's what a lot of the, your different kids look like? Yeah, definitely. And you know, like I said, most of them understand that, you know, they're not going to play professional baseball after this. There will be some guys, obviously, at our level that that happens. And I mm-hmm. think the, the national sentiment is that D3 baseball is kind of recreational. And I, that's not the case at all. I think that some of the best coaching goes on at the Division Three level because we do have so many limitations on things. And, you know, when you're only having 16 days in the fall, you definitely have to be able to develop players. Um, and we're not getting guys that throw 89 to 90 miles an hour at high school. So we really have to develop our guys. We really have to have them buy into more of a team-focused setting so we can be successful on the field. And, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of it that goes into that. But at the same time, they have to be able to manage the other things in their life as well. So it takes a lot of skill. And like I said, somebody who really wants to be in that setting. For sure, for sure. Now, a lot of the different stuff that you post on social media, you do a. It seems like you do a, a fantastic job of building the culture at Lewis and Clark, and and so how are you doing that? What are some things that you guys do intentional to be able to do that? And you know, I just want to know uh, what part of culture sets you guys apart from everybody else. Yeah, I think just kind of uh, throughout my coaching career, my playing career, I've I've been around a lot of situations where there wasn't necessarily something to buy into. And I really want to make sure when I got the opportunity to be a head college coach that I had that there. And so uh, I've been developing the five pillars of our program for a long time. Uh, we have five pillars. The first one is OWE, which stands for outwork everybody. Uh, we have we over me where we want guys to have individual goals, but also have those goals be focused towards the team. We have pride, which stands for preparation, responsibility, integrity, and dedication every day. Um, our fourth one is reef, which stands for relentless energy and focus. And our last one is CTC, which stands for control of controllables. And I think those things are really things that are going to help our kids be successful in life. And I think that we look at our culture really as something that's going to be beneficial while they're here at Lewis and Clark, but also when they get out of Lewis and Clark, so they can go on to be successful in whatever they do. And they can take the things that we've taught them kind of going forward. So we talk about those things all the time. We make sure they see it all the time. It's in our locker room everywhere. Uh, We really try as coaches role model those things. We have a set of coaches expectations based off our pillars that we talk about before we talk about any kind of player expectations. Um, and then we try to reinforce those things a couple times throughout the year. And so every Tuesday for us, we have our guys nominate uh, fellow teammates for going above and beyond on one of our pillars. And we give them a little sticker and recognize them. So we, we call them attaboys. And so everybody's got a, a little card in their locker that they can show those. And it's just kind of a way to recognize those little things that happen and also give those guys, maybe they don't play a ton, um, some reinforcement for the positive things they're doing to help our team. And then at the end of the year, instead of handing out like uh, an MVP or a most valuable pitcher, those kind of things. Uh, we hand out season awards based on our pillars. So who was the hardest worker? Who was the best teammate? Uh, who controlled the controls the best? And those are just ways to kind of reinforce those things that we think are going to be really important to them down the road for the next 40 years of their lives uh, that they'll need going forward. I love that. And do you mind hitting on the coaches' pillars a little bit? I, I You're the first guest that's ever brought that up, and so I'd love for you to share more about that if you're willing to. Yeah, so it's, uh, the, the pillars are the same as far as you know what our coaches are expected to follow. We just want to make sure that our players understand that um, we're not going to be hypocritical kind of folks where we're going to say, hey, you, you need to do this and then not do it ourselves. Uh, we have, like I said, based on our five pillars, we have rules that we expect the coaches to follow. Or as far as like an outwork everybody thing, we're going to put as much time as we can into our kids. Uh, as far as controllables, we expect our 
coaches to uh, maintain their uh, their composure when things don't go well, just as much as we expect the players to do it. And, and if our kids don't feel those things are happening, we allow them to come talk to us about those things. And we may disagree, of course. You know, that's kind of our job as adults and as the kind of supervisor of the program. But it also gives uh, our players an opportunity to really kind of be an, an adult-like and, and make those decisions about what's really happening in our program and where they feel like you know, we're living the pillars as well. And so it kind of creates just kind of an ownership and, and an accountability for everybody. I love that. That's awesome. And, you know, I, th- I think that if, if we're building better men, we're building better baseball players. And I am a firm believer in you've got to practice what you preach. So that's, that's fantastic. But let's go ahead and get into the competition piece. And I know that most of our guests, and I'm sure yourself, we love to have competitions. And so what are some ways that you guys integrate competition into practices? Well, I think the best thing that we do is uh, during the fall, we take our entire roster and we divide them up into four different competition teams. And we have a semester-long competition where they compete on a number of things on the field and also off the field. But on the field in the fall, every day there's some kind of competition for points available in our semester-long competition. So whether it's you know one round of BPs graded on hard contact or whether we play a controlled scrimmage and one team wins and one team doesn't, there's always those points available to those guys. And we're always trying to compete in that fashion. And then you know, kind of during our, our regular season kind of stuff, there's always a uh, a competition as well on Tuesdays. We try to take the guys who didn't get to throw in games much over the weekend or didn't get to hit that much in the weekend. We try to have them go against each other in live uh, at bats. Um, you know, I think you can get better as a hitter taking BP or you can get better as a pitcher throwing bullpens, but you really can't put those things in play until you face a live hitter or face a live pitcher. And so Definitely. it gives those guys opportunity to really kind of develop in that way and also gives them an opportunity to compete and show that they're making adjustments and maybe earn some playing time for us during the year. Uh, and then it, when our regular practices end, we always try to end with some kind of competition. So we want our guys to compete all the time. I think it's really kind of one thing we focused on. I think it's something that's definitely a lot of people take notice uh, of our program uh, this past season. Obviously, we didn't have as great a, a year as we'd love to have as far as wins and losses. But I think people respected the fact that regardless of what the, the situation was for us, we were going to come out and compete and, and give everybody our best game. For sure, for sure. And you mentioned that you're at, you know, Lewis and Clark is a D3 and you guys have to do a great job of developing the players that you've got that you get and with a very short period of time. So how do you guys prioritize that individual development within the team setting? Yes, the tough thing about baseball is that it's a team game really played by individuals. So you want to make sure that you're trying to do both those things. So uh, if you look at the defensive side of things for us, all of our defensive positions, can I coach all the defense? All of them have kind of a set of expectations that we ask them to follow. Um, if you want to call them guidelines, whatever absolutes, whatever you want to call them. So like, if you're looking at our infield, our number one goal is to keep the ball in the infield because nothing good happens if, uh, the ball doesn't go, you know, it doesn't stay in the infield. And so we can talk to our guys about prep steps and those kind of things. Um, so we have those expectations, but other than that, we really kind of let them have their own flavor about how they do those things. As long as they're functional for us. Uh, I'm not going to tell a guy to play a slow ruler the exact way as somebody else does. Uh, we really want to let those guys kind of have that. And earlier in my career, I would say that it wasn't the case. You know, I would say it was kind of my way way or or that wasn't correct i think a lot of that was just because i wasn't skilled enough as a coach to really kind of allow other players to have their things that that maybe worked and it, it took me a little while to be able to look at that and i think the same goes for our offense uh we asked for our guys to kind of follow four absolutes we asked them to have pre-pitch rhythm we asked them to stride to a 50 50 position so they can swing around a stable axis we asked them to try to get slotted with their back elbow um, as early as they can to get on plane and we asked them to stay on plane and through the ball as long as they can and other than that they really have the choice to kind of um, individualize their own swing. And so we're always trying to reinforce those individual things because it, you know, it comes down to comfort for a lot of guys, and, and that comfort kind of creates confidence, and that's what we want our guys. And then we try to spend as much time as we can, obviously, with extra work, whether it's you know during the fall or during the season. We try to meet uh, during the day if guys want that extra work. And then 
also at the end of every fall and every spring, we come up with an individualized player development plan for our guys. So it's a couple of things that they can work on. So we're really trying to work on their own individual skills and hopefully that'll help them uh, be a better player or get more playing time. And then that happening, will help our team get better down the road. Definitely. And just from listening to you talk for the, the past, what, 10 minutes, I can tell that communication is a huge part of your program. So do you mind digging into that a little bit? You know, how do you guys communicate with your guys? Do you guys communicate as a staff uh, a lot? And it sounds like you do, but can you go ahead and dig into that a little bit? Yeah, I'd say that's something I struggle with early as a coach as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm never a guy who really loves conflict. So sometimes, uh, you know, it, it takes that conflict to really get somewhere. So we try to communicate as much as we can. Obviously, my office is open to our guys. Anytime they can come by, I try to email our guys uh, a couple times a week. If it's uh, baseball related, or maybe I see something on on Twitter or online that I really liked, I think I help them. I try to communicate through that. Um, we also do a lot of things, uh, obviously, with the advancements in technology, whether it's like using a huddle app to kind of create things or whether we put things on Google Drive. We're trying to find as many ways as we can communicate information to our guys as possible. Um, they will kind of choose what they want to take out of it. Uh, we want to make sure that communication is there and there's not any you know, kind of guys wondering what's going on, you know, whether that's their role or whether it's what do I need to do to get better. We want to make sure they have those things in mind so that obviously when they have to work a lot on their own because we're limited on our time to work with them, uh, they need to make sure they have those things in place. I love it. Now, again, I'm, I'm going to revisit this one just a little bit just because I know uh, I just want to learn more from you guys, you guys meaning college coaches. But again, you're seeing high school kids play around the country all of the time. So well, is there anything that comes to mind when you see, a, you know, and this is kind of a blanket statement too, but is there anything that you see that a lot of high school players are doing that would be better if we helped them get better at this aspect or that aspect? Or, you know, whenever you get, get freshmen on campus, what is something that you guys have to teach them that we could do that so you wouldn't have to? Does that make sense? Sure. Uh, you know, I think that obviously being a high school coach, I, I've kind of been in that 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 role myself. So I understand those things. And I was not great at those things. To be honest with you, starting out, it took a while, a while to kind of figure those things out. But a couple of things I would say is number one, if high school coaches could maybe help their guys just deal with failure better. You know, I, th- I think that's something we see a lot where we really, as a smaller school, we necessarily can't cross a guy off our list just because they have one negative reaction to something that doesn't go their way. But if that's a trend. That's something that we're going to maybe kind of cross a guy off our list for, which is tough, but it's kind of the way that we need to ha- and kind of do things. And so they can find ways to help them deal with failure and also maybe don't add to the pressure that comes with that. And I, I watch a lot of kids hit nowadays and I see coaches in the third base box giving them like three or four kind of swing cues during the bat. And I think that's just, it's not helpful to those guys, you know? And I think what it leads to is players who are dependent on their coaches and they're not very curious and they don't take a lot of ownership over their own stuff. So uh, we want guys who you know, can kind of do things on their own. We're never going to talk to guys about uh, their swing when they're up there hitting. It's kind of too late for that. Um, so those are some things I could see. And I, the other thing I would say is maybe teaching their players just maybe to how to communicate a little better. We try to have conversations with our players when it comes to player development about, you know, how are you feeling or what do you think is working for you or what are you trying to do in this situation? A lot of those kids don't have a, the ability to communicate those things because they haven't had to think about them. So uh, they can think about kind of ways to help them kind of talk through those things. That'd be great. Um, and I also think when it comes to the recruiting game, I think that a lot of, a lot of players don't communicate very well on certain things. Uh, maybe because they're worried about coaches yelling at them, those kind of things. But you know, just having an open line of communication um, in all senses, I think, are definitely something that high school guys could help uh, the college or the high school players that they're they're coaching. Fantastic, and uh, I love that. That's great advice. And uh, if we can deal with failure, we're going to be okay. But uh, <laughs> hopefully, they've been put into a position where they do fail a little bit, and so uh, so we can help them through that and 
and just like you mentioned that that's that's something that a lot of freshmen do whenever they get on campus i know i did i know most freshmen in the world have unless you're like you know bryce harper but uh yeah. but but talk to us about you know what does a spring look like and again blanket statement but i love stealing practice plans and i love putting practice plans together just to just for the efficiency aspect of it but Take us through what a typical practice would look like uh, on not on a game day, but how much time do you spend on what? And and uh, yeah, go into that a little bit. Yeah, I would say that most of our practices we'll we'll, we'll switch up the routine. I think just kind of keep guys a little bit more on their toes a little bit. And I think guys likes change; they don't like to do the same things over and over again. But usually, we practice for about two and a half hours. Uh, we always try to start our practice with a five to ten minute intro meeting. I think it's really important to take advantage of an opportunity right to start a practice, kind of set the tone. It's also a great opportunity to maybe kind of add some extra flavor to the kids, whether it's a life lesson or those kind of things. We don't really, after a weekend series, we don't talk about the games after the games. We wait until Tuesday to kind of have a 10-minute summary. Uh, I think our guys are in a better place then. And it also helps our guys maybe uh, lock in for practice a little bit better. So we try to have that meeting to start out with. Uh, we send our guys out for a stretch and active routine that usually takes about 10, 15 minutes. Um, then we kind of go into defensive and offensive rotations where uh, I will work out with our guys. Uh, maybe I'll take the infielders for 30 to 40 minutes, and our outfielders and catchers will go hit with Coach Del Prado in the in the cages, and then we'll switch, um, and our catchers will go catch bullpens, and I'll work with uh, the outfielders on defense. Uh, so it gives them a little bit more individual time. They get to work in the cages on different kind of things. Um, then we usually spend about a 10-minute session on some kind of team defense. We try to make those pretty short. Nobody loves to do bun defense in first and thirds. It's not very fun. So we try to do like maybe five minutes of time. We can cover two things in a day. I think we'll be really efficient with that. Mm-hmm. Then we try to have some kind of on-field hitting. Um, it may be just like a regular BP setting. Um, it may be like some kind of competition or some kind of situational hitting uh, or some kind of controlled scrimmage. Um, we're going to do that for probably about 30 to 40 minutes. And then we kind of wrap things up um, with usually like a 15 to 20-minute competition. It may be like a basic challenge or a controlled scrimmage or something to get our guys to compete and really kind of put things uh, a little bit more pressure on them because obviously you know guys can look great in bp but when the pressure arrives it, it's a little bit tougher to to handle those things well so that competition element definitely comes into play and that's kind of how we try to wrap things up love it and so what is uh what does a typical bp setup look like for you do you guys uh you know how, what are your stations look like and take us through that yeah i think we do things maybe a little bit different than, than some other programs awesome. uh, not that it's life-altering but we try to go about four groups. Um, so we'll have two defensive groups. One team will be on live defense, so they're playing balls off the bat. Um, then another group will be on fungo reps. So obviously that's a little bit more designated for our infielders. We're not necessarily hitting fungos to our outfielders. But, uh, so we have those two groups. We also always have a base running group. We try to have a coach go with them so they make sure that they're kind of focused and doing things correctly and not just screwing around. Uh, we try to have one station where they're at first base, uh, one station they're at second base, and we dictate the outs so they know the different things they have to do, tag rules and those kind of things. And then they get live reads uh, for one station at third base. And we might say, you know, infield in or corners in or whatever the scenario is, just so they're working on that. Um, and then we also have our last group is our hitting group where they're actually in the cage. Uh, we have different stations we try to do that really kind of simulates all the things you're going to go through in a game at bat. So we have guys obviously hitting in the cage, and we try to have them focus on just the next swing only and executing the whatever the round is designated as. Uh, I see a lot of kids who will take a bad swing, and they'll start to think about their mechanics of their swing. and I think if they do that in the game, they're really going to lock themselves up. So we try to tell our guys, I don't want to see negative reactions uh, to your last swing. I want you to only focus on the next swing. Um, and if our guys take two bad swings in a row, whether they're maybe off time or maybe off balance, we make them step out, take a deep breath, refocus the plan, and continue the round. Um, and when they get done hitting, they go off to the first base side behind the cage, and we have a mental evaluation station. So 
we try to use the stoplight setting that Ken Revis always talks about. And so if they had a really good round, they consider themselves in green. And so they'll take one deep breath and they'll flush the round. They'll move on. If they had a kind of a so-so round, we call that yellow. They'll take two deep breaths and then they'll flush it and move on. Or if they had a really poor round, we call that red. And they're going to take as much time as they need to, to get themselves under control. And then three deep breaths to kind of get themselves back. And the reason we do the breathing is that when things don't go well or things do go well, obviously your heart rate increases and you deplete your oxygen levels and your body doesn't react to that the way it needs to. So we want to make sure that they're using the deep breathing to help them kind of get their body back into that state of you know homeostasis where they're in good balance and they can move on and make adjustments going forward. So at the evaluation station, they go behind the cage and they do a tracking station. So some guys like to just sit uh, right behind home plate and track pitches and they're telling themselves strike or ball in their head. Some guys like to actually turn their body like they're actually in the box. We just want to work on the more vision that we can. Uh, the fourth station is going to be kind of a plan station where that's usually where our hitting coach stands. Coach Del, Del Prado will stand over there and kind of maybe talk to him about some things to work on in the next round or some influences for the next round. Um, and then the last station is right outside the cage on the third base side. We have them in an on-deck circle, and they're working on getting on time just like they would in a game because I think the on-deck circle is one of the most wasted places you can have in, in a game where guys screw around in that situation where if they can – really focus on being on time. It makes it a lot easier when they get in the box. And so that's kind of what our stations look like. And then our, our rounds are a little bit different than maybe some other programs. Uh, we don't think it's beneficial to try to cover all 17 inches of a plate. We don't think you can do that very well at our level. So we try to designate a half of the plate. Um, and we will not throw a pitch to our guys anytime, whether it's uh, extra work or regular rounds, unless they designate a plate, a half of the plate to us. Um, we just don't think it's beneficial. And so like our first round might be middle out and it's a situation where, you know, if I'm throwing, which is usually what the case is, uh, I have enough control that I can throw a middle out. Um, and it's not necessarily like a middle out round as guys are expected to hit the ball the other way. We try to tell them to swing, uh, and hit the pitch with their appropriate swing. So if they're more of a pull side guy and it's a middle out round, we're not looking for them to try to manipulate their swing so they can hit the ball to right field. We're looking for them to maybe stay up the middle and just avoid rolling over that pitch. Uh, then the second round might be like a middle 10 round. Uh, so we consider that like a 2-0-3-1 pitch. We're looking for guys to do some damage, either hit the ball off the fence or over the fence. Uh, we also usually try to designate a middle end round, which is a pitch that a lot of guys don't spend a lot of time on. But I think it's definitely one you can do a lot of damage on, and you have to figure out how to hit that pitch. We have a number of guys who will hook that pitch foul into the parking lot, and that does us no good. So we really try to work on you know, keeping our hands down your body line there and being able to deliver the barrel to the inside half of the ball and keep that ball fair. And then we will mix some things up from time to time. Uh, we try to do like a a fastball breaking ball round where I'll throw fastball in breaking ball away to a right-handed guy. Or if it's a left-handed guy, sometimes we go fastball in change up away just to kind of give them differences in timing. Uh, sometimes we let them pick their own half. So again, that goes back to that individual side of things. And we always try to finish with like a shorter round. So it might be a one plus one where they get one swing and then they get a base hit round. And as long as they get base hits, they stay in, or we might do a game winner round where they get one swing envisioning a man on second base. We're going middle 10 fastball. They have to try to drive the ball in the gap. Um, if I throw a ball, then they have to step out, go through their uh, between-pitch process, and just kind of try to simulate a game situation. So we try to change it up as much as we can and, and really kind of reinforce the things that we do. And you know, I think that, that, that definitely helps them do that. I love it. And you you hit the nail on the head with guys wanting to take a ton of swings in a short period of time. And I've been trying to wrap my mind about, around that all week because it's you know they get into the cage and, and it's like they take no breath in between – in between their swings and it's it's just it makes a huge difference i mean it really does it's stepping out and clearing and you know when in a, when in a situation in a game are you ever going to take five swings in a matter of you know 15 seconds and you know i think i've been guilty of you know trying to rush practice just to stay on time and things like that so that's definitely something that i need to work on but 
I mean, you tell me, have you noticed a huge difference? Because I'm sure you have some freshmen that come in that do that exact same thing and they're just trying to get their round done and they're used to, you know, whatever coach that's that's throwing BP is like, hey, get back in there and, and all of this different stuff. Because yeah. I know I've done that in the past too, but do you see that as well? Yeah, I think it's definitely a benefit, you know, and I think a lot of us are trying to get as many reps as we can and sometimes sometimes it's better to work on quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, and I think there, I see lots of times where guys are like, Hey, you know, if you, if you take a, take a pitch, you know, the guys get mad at them. And I think that's really a waste of time. You know, if they don't, if they're not in balance, they don't commit to the pitch. And I don't want them to swing at that pitch. I don't want them to do that in a game. Uh, so we really want to make sure that, you know, they're getting pitches they can handle. Obviously if they take like, you know, five balls right down the middle, we may have a little conversation with them, but, uh, for the most part, we want to try to mimic what a game looks like. You know, when you're in there trying to get five, six swings in as fast as you can, and then move on, you know, there's no thought process. There's no kind of calculation on what happens when things change. And so it's not really going to be beneficial when you get into a game. For sure. And I, I love it. I love the the Ken Revisa system of the red light, yellow light, green light too. And I think that that has huge benefits that we may not see immediately, but when the game is on the line, I think you're, that's definitely going to show up. And, you know, you sink to the level of your training, you don't rise to the occasion. So that's definitely a, a great, great idea and something that that's practical that we can all add tomorrow. But I want to know, do you guys use data? And if so, what's the, what do you guys track? Yeah, we do. And I, I would preface this by saying that, you know, obviously the world today, especially on the hitting side is definitely going very data driven. And, and I'm not one of the old school guys that says that's not, not valuable, but I think there's also a time and place where it can be too much data, especially like I said, when, when we're dealing with players of our intelligence level at our school, um, they can really lock themselves up by analyzing too many things. So I think it really has to be a situation where you find enough data as a coach that you can make it valuable and that the players can actually internalize that and not have it too much. So, you know, some of the things that we do, like with coach, uh, Del Prado coming in, he's definitely helped us out with, uh, the blast sensors. We do that. He does exit velocity. We also try to track hard contact during the rounds, but I think the thing we track the most viably offensively is our quality of bat system, because the goal is, you know, obviously we want to get as many hits as we can, but the goal of, of offense is to score runs. And so, it gives us a number of ways to do that and allows our guys when we talk about controlling the controls, it really allows them to kind of control things that happen in their bat. And we've also added a, a base running element to our quality bat score because we understand that that helps lead some runs too. So that's been very beneficial to us to track that and show our guys those numbers and what it leads to. And then I would say like on, on the defense side of things, uh, like I said, every, every position has expectations. And so every scrimmage or game that we have, we track uh, on a little card that I have, I track. Uh, like you know, how many routine play opportunities did they have and did they make them? Did they have a tough play and did they make that? Or for our outfielders, we track like how many opportunities did they have to take a route and was their route efficient? So there's a number of things we can track to to give them numbers, but at the same time we can lock them up. Uh, uh, so we have to be careful with that. And I think the most important thing we track defensively, data driven wise, is just the battle of the freebies, which is, is not a new thing, but I think that's led to a better relationship between who wins games and who doesn't on the number of free bases you give up, and something we really try to focus on here at Lewis and Clark. For sure, for sure. And, you know, it's, I find myself getting into trying to figure out a simple system of things that I really, really want to track and things that it's got to be the most important stuff because, you know, I don't, how many coaches do you have on staff? Because I don't want to have all of our coaches <laughs> and myself constantly taking data and not building relationships and helping the players get better. Yeah, I think it's definitely, uh, you know, a catch 22 is sometimes where, you know, you can maybe get too much into it and, you're trying to keep up with everybody else and that's that's understandable but i think you have to really kind of focus on what do you think is important and sometimes the simple side of things is a little bit better as well for sure now um how many years have you been a head coach i should know this but how many years have you been a head coach at lewis and clark now 
So this is my second year as the head coach of Lewis and Clark. Love it. So this is awesome. So what do you wish you had known before you became the head coach? And, you know, what have you learned on the job as on the job training? You know, I'd say uh, when I started out as a coach uh, almost 20 years ago, I would say that I wish I had a different definition of success. You know, when I got out of pro ball, I thought, you know, I was going to set the world on fire and we were going to win state championships. And like a lot of young coaches, you know, I think that's just kind of natural. But uh, I think over time, you know, those things changed. You know, when I when I was a high school coach, we had success for the first couple of years. And then my fifth year there, we missed the playoffs. And that was really frustrating. And then, you know, the, the sixth year, we had a more talented team. We missed the playoffs again. And I started, started to realize that I needed to have a way for our players to take away a, a feeling of success, regardless of whether we, you know, made the playoffs or won a championship. Obviously, Lewis and Clark, we had a bit of a struggle in the past. So uh, I spent some time really trying to figure things out as far as that goes and did a lot of reading. And I came across a a book by Jim Trestle. He used to be the head coach at Ohio State for football. And mm-hmm. It's called The Winner's Manual, and he had adapted John Wooden's uh, definition of success, which is the self-satisfaction and peace of mind that comes from knowing you did the best you could. And I've kind of morphed that a little bit, and so now every day I ask our guys, you know, at the end of the day to look in the mirror and be able to say, based on the events that happened to me that day, I got the most out of myself and the people around me. Uh, and I think that they can answer that question with a yes, and I think they're successful people, and I think that you know, that's something they can control every single day. You think about wins and losses, and sometimes those things are out of our hands. And so I wish I would have had that definition of success right from the start. I think I would have been a much better coach uh, early on, and I think that's something I'm using now to you know, definitely kind of reach our players and kind of give them uh, you know, some, some tools to be successful down the road. And I think the second thing I would say is just understanding that you can't do everything yourself. And trust me, I've tried. And you know, you know as a high school coach, you, there's a lot of rules you have to fill, and when I was a head high school coach, I was the groundskeeper. I was the SID. I did all that stuff. And you know, I think, number one, it wears you out individually. And you can't give as much to your players because you're fatigued. And I think also if you have a family, it definitely stretches them even thinner than they already are. You know, so I don't think that's fair to them. And you know, I, So I think delegating is definitely something that I've gotten better at. I think it's something I still have to work on. Because you know, I think if you're going to do things right, I, it's not a part-time job. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you're giving everything you can. But really kind of understanding that you need people around you who can do things well. And, you know, and, and even if they're not the best coaches in the world, you can give them roles and help you out. And I think that makes the things better for everybody. So those are two things I wish I would have known better coming into where I was at Lewis and Clark. I love it. And, you know, besides you being a great example and delegating, I think most assistant coaches at some point in their career want to make the leap to become a head coach. So is there any other ways that you help your assistants prepare to be head coaches someday? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because obviously uh, we have a new hitting coach in, in, in Eric Del Prado who mm-hmm. played for me when I was at Willamette, and uh, he's a very eager, hungry guy, great uh, addition to our program, and I've tried to do a lot of things to really kind of mentor him uh, throughout this season and obviously going forward, and so the first thing I really encourage him to do is to start to build his philosophies right away. You know, I know as a, as a young coach, uh, I maybe didn't think about, like, you know, having pillars or or core values and those kind of things. And so I really encourage him to do that right away because it helps you kind of figure things out. For me, we have five pillars in our program. It probably took me 15, 16 years to come up with all those things. So it's not something that happens right away. So the sooner you can get on that, the better. Um, I also think it's important to give them responsibilities, maybe give them some guidelines on how to accomplish those things, but also not micromanage them. So I've given Eric the hitting. I kind of know what he was about, obviously, from coaching him in the past, but I've, I've tried not to micromanage him. Obviously, we have early work sessions. I try not to even be there just so he can really develop relationships with players and kind of figure things out on his own. I've heard a lot of guys talk about you know, having coaches kind of give them the opportunity to kind of figure it out on their own. I think that's great. Um, I also think it's important to clu- include them on the decision process. Uh, when things happen in your program, you know, maybe they don't really make those decisions, but they have some input, and they also understand why you made those decisions. 
And I think that also helps them when things go wrong. They realize, you know, why you make those decisions. And, you know, I think it's important as coaches to be open about past mistakes. And so, um, and I also think it's really important to teach, take advantage of uh, teachable moments. You know, there's times where, you know, something will happen during a, a scrimmage or maybe Eric will be in the office and we'll be talking about something and I'll just kind of make sure I stop and reinforce those things. Um, obviously, things that I didn't know uh, growing up and as a coach and I wish I would have. And now that I've gone through those things, those are things that I think are really important to kind of make sure that you're being intentional and helping your other assistant coaches learn uh, as they move forward. I love that and very thoughtful answer. And you can definitely tell you are extremely intentional about that. And and you know something else that it seems like that you're very intentional about making changes from year to year. So were there any changes that you guys uh, did from last year to now this upcoming year, or I guess this fall? Yeah, I'd say the the expectations are higher. Number one, and, cool. and probably one and only. Uh, you know, coming into a program that uh, hasn't had a lot of success on the field uh, in the past decade and taking over Lewis and Clark, I knew that if I came in and tried to make uh, you know full sale ginormous changes, that things probably wouldn't go well. So obviously, I tried to come in and really kind of adjust the culture to kind of develop our our uh, identity as a program and using the pillars, obviously to kind of teach those uh, things to our guys. And I think that definitely helped last year, but uh, I think, you know, now that I understand what I can do and I, I think now that the players understand the expectations of our program, I think the expectations need to be higher. Um, and so I've expected more of myself. I expected more of the players. And I told them at the end of last year that yes, we won more games than we did the year before, uh, especially, you know, only having three starters back. That was, that was a great accomplishment, but it's, it's not enough. And if we really want to get the most of ourselves every single day, you know, we need to get better. And so I told them, you know, either you guys get better or you're going to find players who can get better than you. And that's, you know, maybe some people look at that as kind of tough love, but I think our players understand that. And I think they've risen to the challenge and, and, and our kids have gotten after it uh, during the, the fall. And now that we're in our, our kind of our weight workouts, our guys are getting after it more than they ever have before. And so uh, we're really excited to see uh, kind of what that plays out to on the field in the spring. Oh, fantastic. And again, it's, it sounds like you're a lifelong learner, and you know I think that our listeners would agree with that. Just listening to the the different things that you've shared with us, but what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? Yeah, one of my uh, big mentors uh, as a coach is Pat Bailey, who's the new uh, head coach at Oregon State. Uh, I never played for Pat; I played against him, but I've taken a lot of things from him. And one thing he always told me is, you know, spend your off season studying one element of the game that you want to get better at. And so it may be catching, it may be pitching, whatever it is. And so. This year, I really try to focus on the, the kind of the mental side of the game for our guys. And so uh, thinking about our reef, our relentless energy and focus pillar, and also our control the controls pillar, I kind of tried to create a combination of uh, the book uh, Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, which was one of my favorite ones, to help our guys kind of develop routines. Uh, and those daily routines that definitely help them you know, put things into place and help them deal with uh, you know, when things don't go well. And I've also tried to uh, steal some things from a book I just got done reading called The Way of the Seal by Mark Devine. And uh, meditation app that I use called Headspace, where uh, a lot of those things that focus in the, in, in the way of the seal and then the Headspace app is on your breathing and using your breathing to kind of really deal with things when uh, you know adversity arises. And so having a short routine and being able to use your breathing, I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of fuse those together to really help our guys mm-hmm. uh, in game and in life uh, when things don't go the way they want uh, you them way you want them to go. We want to be able to give them uh, some kind of tool to be able to handle that and get through that. And so. That's something I've really been trying to focus on. It's maybe a broad topic, but um, it's something I think can definitely help our, our players and definitely help me as a coach and as a person myself. You know that you uh, you're speaking to me directly because that's something that that I've really tried to make time for in uh, in the morning. Just because you know I listen to a bunch of podcasts and almost every single one of them they do some sort of meditation. Like all the different successful people that I've ever talked to, I guess including yourself now. 
do some sort of meditation, whether that's five minutes or 15 minutes. And, you know, uh, myself being a Christian, I'm, I've started using a, an app called Abide. And so it goes through a different verse uh, every single day and, and a different uh, different practical element of that. And so, I mean, it's it's it really does make a difference. And I don't, I, have you noticed that, uh, that it's made a difference in your life uh, specifically? Yeah, definitely. I think that, uh, like I said, you know, doing things right is not a part-time job for me. And I come from a, a family of uh, probably workaholics, to be honest with you. And so I think I probably let myself go physically and emotionally uh, after this last year. And so I asked our guys to come up with some goals uh, during the off season. And my goal was to, you know, make sure that I really worked on myself and, and find ways to help myself. And so that I used to really kind of look down upon the whole meditation side of things. When I was playing uh, professional baseball with the Texas Rangers, we had Tom Hansen who was one of the co-authors with Ken Revisa and, and the heads up baseball book. And I just totally ignored it. And I thought I can handle this. And then my career ended because I couldn't handle the failure. Um, and so wow. obviously trying to deal with failure and then also all of the things that happen in your lives. You know, obviously when you have a family, there's lots of things going on. You're trying to, you know, to, to make sure everybody's happy and those kind of things. And sometimes, you know, you just get overloaded. And so having that meditation, you know, for me, it's a three minutes a day thing just allows me to really kind of center myself a little bit and also learn how to deal with, you know, thoughts coming in out of my head and just kind of focus on the things that I need to focus on. So it's been a big uh, improvement for me and something I look forward to really kind of getting even better at. Awesome. Well, let's talk about your kids a little bit, your players. And so if you're going to walk into the locker room and you're going to say, hey guys, we're doing this today, or what is what is your favorite aspect of practice, what would they say? Yeah, I would say that, you know, obviously the competition side of things is what they love the most. And I think that's pretty normal. Um, you know, regardless of how old you are, I think they love to, to compete. And so there's two things that I think we probably do that they like the most. Uh, one is we call four spot live base running. Um, and so we put a base runner at every position. We put two at first base just to have an extra guy there. And then we put a defense out against them and, and each hitter gets two swings to get the ball in play. It's usually like a middle 10 fastball. So they're trying to do some damage with it. And what we'll do is we'll tell the, the hitter and the base runners that they're the only guy on base. And then we'll set up a, for the defense we'll say you're playing the hitter only and we'll designate a, a number of outs to help the base runners and then uh, we play that around a couple times and we can really kind of adjust that a little bit we can say hey you're playing the guy at first so it creates double play so our guys get a number of live reps uh, guys compete really hard in that guys run hard obviously uh, creates the base running side of things it's a great conditioning thing but it does a lot of things that we really think uh, can help our guys out so the four spot live base running is great and i think the other one that our guys really love we don't do it very often and i'm sure hitting twitter would uh, lose their mind if they hear about it but we do a short bunt game that they probably compete more than any game I've ever seen. And what we'll do is we'll use the foul line. Uh, we put a first and a third base on the foul line. So they're probably about 15, 20 yards apart. We put a home plate in foul territory, probably about 10, 15 yards from the center of that line. And then we put a second base, obviously the same distance. And I stand in the middle of the line, the defense uh, gets the line up right behind the line. I throw pitches to the guys and they have to do some kind of bunt, whether it's a drag sack, push, whatever. And they have to try to get on base and score runs. It's an awesome game because it teaches our guys, you know, that we obviously do use the short game a little bit. So it teaches them to be toolsy and, and, and deal with stuff. And obviously they only get one pitch, so it teaches them to make sure they execute in situations. But more than anything, I think it helps our guys compete. And then it also helps them deal with failure because there's always an outfielder who thinks he's an infielder and fields a ground ball and throws it away. Or, you know, somebody misses their bun or somebody messes up and guys start chirping at each other. So it's a great opportunity for us to really reinforce the control of controllables you know, we talk about having a headlight mentality a lot and focusing on the what's right in front of you. And and so it really allows us to do that. And our guys love that game more than any game I've ever seen. I'm not sure exactly why, but I think just the competition element of it is. And, you know, and it's kind of in a short space and guys get to do things maybe they don't usually do. And so 
Um, anytime you can really kind of you know change things up a little bit, I think it's going to be definitely, definitely something that the kids love. Well, that's fantastic. We actually played wiffle ball uh, last Friday, and you would think that it was Game Seven of the World Series. <laughs> I just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I feel like we should just uh, do different competitions and get rid of all the skill stuff and just let guys play. And uh, yeah, maybe that'd be a little bit more beneficial. So, for sure, we'll get out of our own way. But you know, so uh, so go ahead and empty out your pockets. What else do you have for us as far as resource wise? I've written a couple down. You've talked about compound effect, headspace, uh, way of the seal, a heads up baseball. Is there anything else that comes to mind? You know that you want to throw out for our listeners to to dig into. Yeah, I would say the one that I reference a lot, you know, on the ABCA chats and those kind of things is uh, the Above the Line book by Urban Meyer. I know, I know people probably get tired of me referencing it, but there's two things in there that I use with our program that I think have been really, really beneficial. The first one is the, the E plus R equals O, which is, you know, you're going to have events in your life, whether you want them or not. Um, you're going to have, you know, plus your responses are going to lead to an outcome. And lots of times those outcomes are things that you can't control. And the one thing you can control is controlling your response to those things. And I think that's helped me as a person, number one, but I think it's helped our players. We talk about controlling your R a lot um, and understanding that, you know, it may not work out exactly how you want it, but you can make it better if you can control your response. And so that's really important for those guys. Again, not only in the game of baseball, but moving on in life. And the other one is uh, the concept of 10-80-10, where uh, Urban Meyer talks about, you know, 10% of your guys are going to be guys who are, you know, really bought in. The Tim Tebow guys who are really hardcore guys who you don't have to do anything about, you're going to have about 80% of your guys who, do what's expected, but they don't go above and beyond. And then you're going to have 10% of your guys that, you know, are always finding excuses or always trying to drag guys down. We actually call it shepherds, sheaves, and wolves. And uh, we're trying to get as many guys to be shepherds as possible and get, and get rid of all the wolves as possible. And so just kind of creating a mindset of our guys, really trying to get to that, that top 10% is really important for us. And, you know, I'd say another thing is definitely beneficial for me and something I kind of shied away from early on because I thought I knew everything and then I got humbled pretty quickly. And so I'd say get to clinics. Um, obviously there's a ton of local clinics. We have one here in the Northwest It's put on by a former Lewis and Clark legendary coach, Jerry Gatto and his Northwest star group. And it's attended by all the division one coaches. It's been amazing for me. Obviously the ABA with coach Sheeninger and all those guys and what they're doing is great, but more than anything else, just the things you learn sometimes for me, it spurs, uh, you know, thoughts that maybe you had in the past. Um, it kind of brings those things up. And so it really is a great developmental tool. And then you mentioned podcasts and obviously you know, listen to your podcast, Jonathan, and obviously the ABCA podcast has been really helpful to me, and KW Race uh, Baseball has been a great one. Um, but I would say, really, if, if you're a coach and you want to get better as a coach and a leader, try to find some podcasts that help you in your personal development. So for me, uh, my three favorite are The Learning Leader with Ryan Hawk, one. Uh, 1% Better with Joe Ferraro, I know you uh, know pretty well, and then uh, there's a Focus 3 podcast that's put on by Tim and Brian Kite, who are the E plus R equal O uh, kind of guys, and those three have been really uh, beneficial to me, and uh, just kind of learn how to be a better leader and really uh, manage people and, and help people and those kind of things. So those are things I could really recommend as far as resources that I would, and, you know, I would recommend the guys get into. You may as well have my phone right now and scroll through my uh, weekly lineup. That's uh that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Well, Matt, I really do appreciate you taking some time to share all of that stuff with us today. I know that our listeners are writing down notes furiously just because you've shared so much practical info for us, but you know, where can our listeners find you online in case they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, obviously Twitter's uh, you know, a place that I've, I'm pretty frequent as far as the baseball side of things goes, and I try to post a lot of things there. Not that I'm the, you know, the, the guru or anything like that, just things that I've learned that I think can be helpful. And So my tag there is Kozderka18. Uh, Kozderka spelled K-O-S-D-E-R-K-A. Um, or you can email me. My email is mkozderka at lclark.edu. I'm more than help, or happy to help out anybody. 
you know, I'm obviously trying to learn myself. And so, uh, if you ask for help, uh, be expected to ask me for, you know, have me ask you some questions as well. Um, but those are some places you can probably reach me the most easily. Perfect. Well, I, I'm just going to open up the mic for you and, you know, ask, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, I think in our current time and state, we really have to be careful as coaches and as mentors to not get stuck in the kids these days, uh, with air quotes mentality. You know, uh, I obviously was in that kind of realm of thinking when I was a young coach and teacher. Um, I think as I've, as I've been around a little bit more, I've kind of realized that maybe that's not the best mentality to have. You think about probably our parents and our coaches and teachers probably thought the same of us back in the day. And I think one thing I've learned over the years is that poor behavior and habits comes from something. It's not a natural thing for kids. And so it's important for us to really try to work to find out, you know, why those things are happening. You know, maybe it's a, a family situation, maybe it's something at home, maybe it's something happening at school. And, you know, I don't think kids naturally want to misbehave. I think they want to buy into things. And so finding out those things and maybe it comes down to, they just haven't been taught any better. Um, that's tough, obviously, as a coach, when you have a lot of different expectations on your time and, and, and those kind of things. But I think, you know, kind of being a surrogate parent or, you know, really kind of helping those guys out is an important role that we need to take advantage of. And I would really say the best way I think you can do that is to have a set of expectations and hold kids accountable to it. You know, whether it's pillars or core values, kind of like we have, uh, you know, find something that you can have that kids can buy into, they can get behind. You know, I think it really creates buy-in. I've been on teams as a player and as a coach that didn't have those things in place. And usually there were behavior issues and guys who didn't buy in and chemistry issues. And so um, I think when you get down to it, those are the things that the kids will remember. And those are the things that are going to help uh, them as they move on into you know their life uh, after baseball. And I think for me, it's really kind of led me to the, you know, the discovery that, you know, I'm not really a baseball coach. I'm a life coach who uses baseball. Um, and I, and I would really recommend that, you know, as many guys kind of think of it that way as possible, because, you know, I, I know I'll be judged as a player. I know I'll be judged as a coach, but the biggest judgment for me is going to be the life that I lived and the, the people that I helped uh, in life, not just in baseball. And so, uh, if guys focus on that, I think they're going to be really successful down the road. Thank you for listening to ahead of the curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you. And we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.